For many, right now feels upside down, and uncertainty is constantly swirling. Normal is this windstorm ever shifting, and it doesn't look like circumstances will calm anytime soon. But what if the change that we need is not our setting, but our sight? Not the external, but the internal. Not our fears, but our focus. First Peter is a letter, a banner, a compass, infusing steel in the spines of people in hardship, anchoring us in the reality that hope lies ahead. Yeah, let's go. Good to see you too, bro. Come on. Let's open our Bibles. First Peter chapter 5. God's got a lot in this passage, and I am fired up. Open up your Bibles. We love the Word of God here. Um, let me tell you a little story. I was 17 years old, and this was about a year after I got saved, uh, began following Jesus became a Christian. And I'm going to tell you right now that I was still pretty sketchy, okay? Like I came out of a lot of darkness and a lot of just being 16, um, as many of you probably did as well. Amen? Amen. Well, <laughs> good to see that I'm only the only sinner here. Well, well, so here's the deal. My youth pastor walks up to me and he's like, he's like, hey, I want you to join this thing called Impact. And I'm like, what, what is Impact? It sounds like really weird and Christian. He's like, it is. It's our student leadership here. And I'm like looking at myself like, are you sure you're talking to the right guy? <laughs> like you want me to be involved in student leadership? And, and I'm like, I'm, I'm literally not a leader. Like I just barely got saved. Like I don't know anything about the Bible. Like why would you call me into leadership? And he asked me just a couple of questions. He's like, well, do you love Jesus and like know your need for grace? And I was like, I just looked at myself. I'm like, I for sure need grace, bro. Like I know that I need Jesus. He's like, okay. He's like, do you want other people to experience that grace too? And I was like, thinking about my life at this moment, and just a little backstory on this, is I had for this year had my dad's Astro van, and I was packing like 20 or 30 kids illegally inside this van and taking them to youth group, okay? And some of those kids, as I was thinking back to this, like some of those kids didn't even know they were going to youth group, all right? <laughs> like, it's just sketchy for Jesus. Like, they show up, and they're like, where are we right now? I'm like, you're at church, bro. You're at church. And they're like, like, I didn't know I was going to church. I don't want to be here. It's like, well, you don't have a ride now, bro. And so welcome to youth group. Like, let's go. And so uh, just sketchy for Jesus. And so I'm like, yeah, I for sure want people to know Jesus. Like, I'm willing to, like, ruin their lives so they, like, get to know Jesus. And he's like, you are called to be a leader. And listen, I want to tell you something today. If God can call, like, like these, these rascals of 17-year-old skateboarders to follow and to lead for Jesus and to advance the kingdom of God, let me tell you something today. He can do that in your life as well. You are called to lead like Jesus. So open your Bibles. That's what we're going to look, like, look at. 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm just letting you know right now, all I want for you is, is to sign up for team night at the end of this. Like, that's like 99% uh, my goal today is like, I want you signing up for team night. I want you stepping up. I want you leading because you are called. Some of you say, I'm not a Christian. Oh, you're called. You're called to Jesus, and we will take you to youth group against your will. <laughs> Let's look at our Bibles. But before we do that, uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and pray because it's already, it's already a little out of control. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I thank you today for Jesus. I thank you for his calling on the lives of, this, of these precious people in front of me, Lord. 
And I thank you that this message today is going to stir up in someone's heart a changed heart today. And how one day they don't even know what they are going to look like in you because they are going to be so transformed and so infectious for Jesus and so full of his life and such an impact for Jesus in our city that they have no category for it right now. Lord, I pray for that person, even if it's just one. God, I pray for all of us that there would be an ecosystem of leadership development, of disciple multiplication that rises up among us. And so we pray for the Holy Spirit, and we pray that you would guide us as we look at your word, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Looking at the text, 1 Peter chapter 5, first part of verse 1 says, so I exhort the elders among you. I exhort the elders among you. What is an elder? What is an elder? Um, this is kind of like a strange religious term. You're like, the elders, okay? Uh, maybe if you're like not even religious, you've met an elder because they came to your door like knocking there, and they were like riding a bike and like wearing like nice clothes, and they were like a 12-year-old elder for, you know, Mormon Jesus, and they came to your house. And um, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the biblical concept of an elder. And so what is an elder? Simply put, an elder is a leader in the church. That's what they are. They are a key leader in the early church among these house churches. And the word comes from Jewish culture uh, back in the book of Exodus and other places uh, where they use that term to refer to leaders being raised up by Moses. An elder, uh, though, gives this false notion in our English language here that you have to be old. And so, like, you picture, like, you know, just, a, just an older man, like, he's walking around, and, and that's who's leading the church. And that's not a bad thing, and sometimes that's true, but, like, that can actually explain, like, 99% of churches here in the United States. Like, only old people are allowed to lead. And I'm not against old people lead. We need you, older saints, amen? Like, we need y'all leading. But here's the truth. Like, this isn't about age. It's about spiritual maturity, Sanctification is not about length of time even being a Christian. It's about length of time studying the Bible and humbly submitting to God's word through Jesus, amen? And so being an elder is about spiritual maturity, and this is Paul and Barnabas' pattern. What they did is they exploded the gospel movement in the early church, and they planted a whole bunch of churches. And over all these churches, they started establishing elders, leaders, and servants, and deacons, and all these leaders in the early church. If you were to study the New Testament right now and read all like the names for different leaders in the church, you would read uh, three particular terms that are equivalent to this. One would be elder, the other pastor, the, over, the other one over. Overseer, and so I'm, I'm just saying this right now. Like instead of Pastor Nolan, I prefer Overseer Nolan. Like <laughs> Overseer or Overlord. Like I'm down with either one. <laughs> Justin Taylor tells us this in the New Testament. These terms are all equivalent. Elder connotes the man's dignity and standing. Overseer's function and duty. Pastor his calling of shepherding, protecting, and feeding the flock through teaching. And so it has. There's these different words. They all have the same idea. So again, just call me overseer. With that said, um, the the other part of the New Testament that talks about this is talking about character. The, the majority of the text dealing with leaders is like you got to have a high. Uh, you have to have high character. Not even just competency, but this is who you need to be. And you have to ask the question, like, why when we're talking to leaders in the New Testament is Paul so obsessed with, like, you need to be the right kind of person, the right kind of person, the heart for Jesus, the heart for your family, all of this stuff, humble, all of these things. Why is that? Well, here is why, and it's true of this text, too. He's not just thinking about the key leaders that you think of in your mind. 
Like he's not just thinking of Jason up here sweating and like preaching the gospel, right? That's not just what he, he's thinking about everybody in the church and the pattern of their lives. And so let me tell you something right now. You are called to be a leader because even these elders are meant for the purpose of being an example for what you should do and for how you should lead. 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 Words. Like struggling. 9.30. We'll get it right at 11.15. You are called to lead. I, I don't know if you notice this, but like on Instagram or whatever, you notice that these new brands and like new um, you know, products and stuff sort of emerge. And the ones that go really viral and the ones that are like really big, they actually do this new kind of strategy where they take like just a few highly influential people and they like go ahead and give their product to them for free. You guys notice this? And like what, what we call them is we call that like a brand ambassador or whatever. And so like the cool like person, like the Justin Bieber types are like rocking the brand or whatever. And so they're like, oh, like, and what are they doing that for? Brand ambassador. They're doing that because they know if we can get these people to like take hold of this culture, if we can get these people to take hold of this brand, then what, what's going to happen? Everybody else is going to do that. Listen, that is what Peter's trying to do here. He is saying, these guys should lead like this, therefore you should lead like this. You should lead people to Jesus like this. And I'm telling you this over and over because some of you guys really don't believe that you are a leader. Some of you guys really don't believe that you're called. Like you're sitting here already preparing yourself to be like, this message is for Jimmy over there. This message is for Sally over there. This is not for me. Because you're like, I've never received a call to ministry. And listen, I'm calling you to ministry right now. Um, uh, Jason told me the story this week of his brother-in-law, how he was uh, struggling through his calling. He was struggling through, like, he's literally going to become, like, a pastor, a leader at this church. And he's like, but I'm not sure that Jesus even wants me to do that. Like, I don't think I've ever, like, felt him, him, like, say this to me. And so he's sitting in some Starbucks, like, sitting there literally thinking about, man, maybe I stepped down from my role because I don't have, like, an actual divine calling on my life. And as he's sitting there, this gal walks up to him who he does not know. And she says, like, and she doesn't even know if he's a Christian at this point. He's like, she's like, I, I think you're going to think this is probably a little weird. But like, God told me to tell you that you are called. And he's like, okay, so that's it. I'm called. <laughs> right? Like, you don't have an option. Listen to me. That moment for you is right now. This is that divine moment. This, I, I don't have a Starbucks coffee for you, but you are called. And so welcome to leadership. It's your first day. Like, what do you do now? Well, here's the first thing we need to know. Like, as you step into leadership today, we're going to see in the text, the first one is this. What do biblical leaders do? I got three things. What do biblical leaders do? What are you now called to do? Number one, we see in verse one through two in the first part. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. This is like Peter's like Jesus flex. He's like, look, I saw Jesus die. Like I walked with him. So listen to what I'm saying. Like I'm doing the same things that I'm calling you to do. Verse two, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. The first thing we see is this. Number one, you are, we are to shepherd the flock. We are to shepherd the flock. You're like, I've never shepherded before. What's that about? This is the word poimeno. It's where we get the word pastor, okay? It, it's also a verb in the New Testament. Not just like, oh man, I got this title, but it's like, no, this is what I'm doing with my life. I'm shepherding the flock. 
all of us, shepherding one another. And it's the literal word for shepherd. That's, that's, they're the same thing. So what is it to shepherd people? Uh, my brother was uh, basically the oldest in our family of four kids, and he was the one who was assigned by my mom to, like, look after us. And so, you know, he's five years older than me, six years older than my younger brother. And so you, you can just imagine, like, he's rallying us as kids. If my mom, like, stepped away, went to the store or whatever, he was the one who watched us. He was the one who broke up sibling fights. He was the one who walked us to school most of the time, you know, every day to school there at Holiday Elementary. He was the one who babysat us, but we were excited because it was Brandon babysitting us because he would actually, like, make it fun and let us, like, do things we weren't allowed to do. And so, like, this is my brother. He was the one when I was a teenager, he would take me to D's in and out right over here by Gresham, right, D's in and out, and he would get, buy me a long burger, you know, and it was like, oh, my gosh, I can't afford these on my own. And he would bribe me, and then he would sit down and be like, hey, are you doing any drugs? Are you getting anyone pregnant? What parties are you going to? Are you taking heroin? Like, what's going on in your life? And, like, just do, going through the usual, like, what, what's going on? He was the one... Some of you guys are so concerned about that heroin comment, and we are, we are just getting started, so you just buckle up. Welcome to Rise City Church. Jason's up, you know, next week, so here's the deal. He was the one who stepped into that fist fight that I got into at Mount Hood Theater when I was getting jumped, and it was five on one, and he was the one who fought those dudes and ended up going to jail in my place. This is what it is to be a shepherd to care for the sheep, to have a heart that lays its life down for those under their charge. That's what a shepherd is. And you know what that, that heart is? That is the heart of Jesus. And so it is looking like Jesus, having the heart of Jesus for the flock. And not only for the flock that you know, but for the lost that you don't know yet. It's having a heart like that, tenderly and sincerely caring. S secondly, it's like my brother, because my brother was not like my mom or dad, okay? He was assigned by my mom. He didn't carry his own authority. He was working on behalf of her authority. And so in the same way, we are under Jesus' authority, serving one another to be the presence of Jesus in their lives, humbly stewarding. Leadership is stewardship. Number two, he tells us to feed the sheep. The KJV translates this, feed the flock of God. Why, like, why the different translations? Like, we can't trust our Bible. Well, here's the deal. There's multiple connotations. There's multiple ideas in this idea of shepherding. So they identify the feed the flock dimension. This is to teach God's word. This is literally Bible stuff right now. This is hearkening back to, if you remember in chapter 2, if you were with us, in chapter 2, we saw that he said what? Like, um, that we should long for the pure spiritual milk, long for the word of God, like newborn infants, if we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And now he's taking the shepherd metaphor and he's saying, feed these sheep, feed them the milk, give them the word. And listen to me, we need to be a people who are passionate about the Bible, that's what he's saying here. He is saying the leaders and everybody in here who is leading in some shape or form, I don't care if you're a stay-at-home mom like my wife is, staying there, like caring for your kids, that thing should be Bible-based. That thing should be, you should be breathing life into your kids through the word of God. That's what we're talking about here. Leadership is stewardship, and we are, we are charged with this, that we would preach God's word that we would shepherd that way. And listen to me, have we not been in a world of crisis this year, last year? 
Listen, so many of us are waiting for the crisis to end. We're like, man, soon the crisis is going to end. Listen, the crisis is not going to end. This is the new normal. Like, I used to, like, resist. There's no new normal. Like, don't say that phrase. No, actually, now you're in. I'm like, no, this is the new normal. Like, that's what's going down. The, the crises are not going to end. And let me tell you this. All the crises that come, they are nothing compared to the crisis beneath the crisis, the illiteracy towards the Bible in our culture. Some of you guys think I'm saying that for dramatic effect. I believe with all my heart that there is no plague, that there is no crisis compared to the loss of God's word in our culture. This city needs the Bible. That's it. We need the, Martin Luther. Martin Luther, uh, you may have heard that phrase, um, he, uh, that name. He's uh, literally today is Reformation Day. It's not Halloween. It's, uh, it's Reformation Day. So all the, those of you who are like, man, I'm hiding out. Like, we can't do demons. Like, we're staying inside. We got Reformation Day for you. <laughs> Reformation Day is uh, literally about, like, the recapturing of God's word among a people where the church had become so powerful and so corrupt, they were keeping God's word from people. And so the Reformation is about guys like Martin Luther who said, we need the Bible. And so Martin Luther, here's the thing about him. He lived, we were like, oh man, COVID, all this stuff. Listen, Martin Luther lived through the bubonic plague. Like, you go study history. And, and by the way, side note, watch how many revivals happen during plagues. I'm just saying, I'm, I shouldn't be preaching that right now. But, <laughs> but he lived through the bubonic plague. And he says this, lived through it, watched the death, watched the carnage, feared for his life. I have lived to see the greatest plague on earth. And what is it? The condemning of God's word. A fearful thing surpassing all other plagues in the world. For thereupon most surely follow all manner of punishments, eternal and corporal. This is 1500s language for if I had to pick between the plague, the bubonic plague, and the plague of the loss of God's word, I would pick the bubonic plague every time because that only has physical ramifications. This one has eternal ones. For every generation, we need a church that is passionate about the word of God. We need a church that is not distracted. And listen to me. I was reading C.S. Lewis' screw tape letters, and he talks about, it's basically this story about how two demons are corresponding and trying to lead this guy to hell. And just an awesome, you know, story. And he's talking about how, like, how are we going to lead this guy to hell? And they, they get to this chapter, I think it's chapter 12 or something like that, and they talk about how the most effective tool we have is not these, like, supernatural appearances. It's not these demonic things. It's not like, you know, making him flip upside down and all that crazy stuff you see on the movies. He says the craziest thing and the most intense thing we can do to him is simply distract him. That's all. Let's get him playing cards. This is 1941. He's talking about cards in the newspaper. He's not talking about iPhones and social media and all the news and all the hype and all the nonsense. We are distracted people. And we think that by like, man, if we just make church a little more hip, people are going to get saved. If we just wear like flannels <laughs> and like try to hide that we're balding, people are going to get saved. You know what people need is they need the word of God. They need the word of God. Listen, if someone asks you, man, hey, would you go with me to the Buddhist temple down the street or whatever? 
you're a Christian, I know, but like, would you go to me, would you go with me to the Buddhist temple? You'd be like, probably, probably not. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't want to go there. They're like, no, 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 we changed the sign. We made it more hip than the Buddhist temple down the street. Our, like, Buddhist leader wears boots and, like, skinny jeans. Like, show up. You'd be like, no. But here is the deal. If they were utterly convinced that their message itself unlocked the meaning of life, if it seemed to lift the hood of reality and made sense out of everything you know, if it cut you to the heart and brought healing to the ancient ache of your soul, that is why you would go. And listen, church, we have that message. We have that book. For centuries, we have been called the people of the book. And you know why? Because it is the book that is breathed out by the voice of God. It's about the Bible. And our region is desperate for a church with a life-altering message. If you have influence of any kind here in the Pacific Northwest, in this church or outside these walls, get people who don't know Jesus into the Bible. That's only number two, fam. We're still going. Number three. Number three. He says, exercise oversight. Verse two. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight. Um, what's this word, oversight? It's my new title. And it says, uh, it's the Greek term, episcopeo. I don't speak Greek, but you can look at it on the screen. It's where we get the word episkopos. And what it means, uh, if you know the Episcopal church and all that. What it means is to look upon, to inspect, to oversee, or to look after and care for. And so here's what I need you to see. This word overseer, it like makes sense in our language too. It's like you're, you're over something and you're inspecting it, you're looking at it, you're taking care of it, and you're sort of looking at a distance. And here's what I need you to see. This idea of leadership, it is, and sometimes it, subcultures in the church can think like if someone is a pastor, if someone's a leader, if someone's a small group leader, then they need to personally like meet with me and hold my hand and walk with me. And some of that is actually true and some of that is actually uh, really the heart of Jesus. But here's the reality. This, the idea of oversight in the lives of the leaders, but also the lives of every leader in this room is to carry the heart of Jesus for everyone, but not to be personally jesus to everyone. Like, you can't be Jesus to everyone, okay? Like, Jesus couldn't even be Jesus to everyone in one sense. And be careful with that, because he was obviously God. But the truth is, he took three, and he poured into them, and they poured into uh, the masses. He poured into 12, and they poured into the masses. He poured into the 72, and they poured into the masses. This is not personally hand-discipling every... Listen, I don't want Jason, like, meeting up with, you know, Dave Gray, meeting up with, like, you know, 586 people every week here before Sunday so he can disciple them and all this stuff. One, because, like, the dude would literally have his heart burst from all the coffees. He's just like, like, I'm dead. Like, I don't want that for his family because I love him. But number two, it's just not biblical. That's not biblical. Oversight is different from micromanagement. Why does that matter? Because the whole intent of the Great Commission, Jesus's, like, go and saturate every city with the gospel, was this thing that was supposed to become and scale up to a global phenomenon. And so that necessitates the multiplication of leaders. And so, and here's the other thing, it diminishes the value of the church who should be being raised up 
to serve the nations, to serve the community, to serve, and this is very biblical. In fact, Acts, uh, excuse me, Exodus chapter 18, uh, Moses is trying to minister to like millions of people. Like he's like, I'm the leader, so I got to like die for Jesus or whatever. And um, he, so he's ministering and all that. And then uh, his father-in-law takes him aside, Jethro, and he says, hey, look, this doesn't work. Like you actually need to raise up leaders of hundreds, of fifties, of tens, and then you need to go multiply out. Like, that's how that works. You can't know everybody. Acts chapter 6, the same thing happens. The early church explodes. And you remember they began to assign deacons or servants over the church because some people were being overlooked. It's just not realistic. And it is important that this mission begins to multiply out. Titus 1.5. I could go all day with these, okay? But Titus 1.5, he says this, Paul to Titus, he's like, this is why I left you in Crete, that you might put what remains into order, the church, put it into order. How? By appointing elders as I instructed you. That's his call. And so we're to raise up leaders. We are to multiply disciples. Ephesians 4, talking about how we are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Pastors, leaders, they're not to equip, to like do the ministry. They are to equip the saints to do the ministry. And we say it like this at Rise. We exist to raise up the next. We exist to raise up the next. Um, it was 2016 when we started the the youth group, which was actually like a Bible study size back then, it was over in Fairview Community Center, and it was like, we just like give kids candy and rock stars and just pray, and like, oh, we'll see what happens, you know, and, and it was just like a mess. And so um, then, then came in this like nerdy kid, and I was like, that, like, this is who you reach early on, is like these like nerdy kids. And so I'm like, what's up, bro? Like, you're a nerd like me, and we, we connected real fast. We connected real fast, and, and actually, this young man grew up, and uh, we noticed that he had a real heart for Jesus, big old Bible. Just started, like, every, every small group we had, he would pour in. We're like, man, you should help us lead this small group. Next thing you know, we, ha we had him in our student leadership. Next thing you know, we took him to a retreat. He's like running the retreat. I, I can't figure out the production stuff. He's like, I'll do it, bro. And he just ends up leading. He becomes this incredible leader. Six years later, six years later today, that is Jordan Fallman, and he is our Rise Youth team lead, overseeing it right now. They are over at a retreat at Trout Creek Bible Camp right now, leading for Jesus, pouring into your kids. Don't be that shook because now they're handing out rock stars too here at 9 a.m., all right? Like, don't get too hyped on him, all right? But we're pouring in. And here's the best part of that story. Years earlier, my wife's 18 years old. She's a leader at Trout Creek Bible Camp. And she's grown in the Lord, learning her, you know, the doctrine, like cares about Jesus, reading her Bible, filling up notebooks. And, uh, and Joe Fallman is Jordan's dad. And he was pouring into Lindsay, discipling her, raising up leaders who were over her. I'm not, there's even this one story where he personally sits her down, and he's like, you're a leader here, and I heard you're dating like a non-believing guy. And she's like, oh, no. And he's like, like, talk to me about that. And so literally, I have Joe Fallman to thank for like my wife today, loving Jesus, and like, what's up? Thank you, Joe Fallman. There's your shout out. But, here, but here's the reality. Do you see how this works? Joe pouring into Lindsay, pouring into us, us pouring into... There's this multiplication thing that happens, isn't there? This this beautiful thing. And it sounds really, really good in theory. All of this sounds good in theory, that we would shepherd the flock, that we would preach the Bible, teach the Bible, lead Bible studies, lead Bible studies in our homes, so forth, that we would multiply leaders. But here's the deal. Like, we actually need to know how to do this. I can't just leave you with, like, do, 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 do the right thing. Actually, we need to know the heart posture. How should, like, biblical leaders lead? How should we do what we do? Well, 1 Peter 2, uh, 
second part of that verse to verse 5 actually gives us some insight into the heart. Look at the text. It says, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, that is those who are less spiritually mature, still growing, be subject to the elders, those who are more spiritually mature. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We got three more things. Here's number one. Not by force, but by example. How do we lead? Not by force, but by example. He says in verse three, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Here's what I need you to know. No matter what kind of influence you have here at Rise or beyond Rise, here's what I'm telling you, that anybody you're ministering to, anybody you're pouring into, these are not your sheep. They are Jesus's sheep. These are not our sheep. These are Jesus's sheep. Pastors get together. They want to be like, hey, man, like, how's your church? I'm like, it's not my church. It's Jesus's church. This is not, these are not your people. These are Jesus's people. There's no territory. There's no domineering here. And it's not about you. This isn't about, man, I want to serve in this kind of role because I've been given these kinds of gifts. And so I should, and it's this scraping after power. No, it's not about domineering. These are Jesus's sheep. And so what is it about? How do we do this? What heart posture should we have? It's leading by example, he says. Leading by example. And so we use our lives to demonstrate the life of Jesus to other people. That's what it is. And so you you think about this, and some of you guys are like, man, I love this idea of like leading by example. Like even the secular world talks about, man, you lead by example as a CEO, lead by example, example, example. And so we hear this a lot, like lead by example. And I think it, it rings true because it is true. But some of us are like, man, how do I start leading by example? Like, how do I start doing that? Well, here's the deal. You don't start leading by example. You recognize that you already are leading by example. That's what we do. I, you already, um, so I, back when we were at Mountain View, and I was running Rise of Youth and everything, and uh, I remember sitting through service one day, and if you're like me, like, I want to sit through service, and I want to, like, take notes. Like, I want to, like, pour into me, bro. Like, give it. I just want, and I just want to focus. I'm, like, very, like, OCD. I'm not ADD at all. Like, I'm just, like, I want to be in whatever I'm in. And I remember hearing this, like, snickering off to my left. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to try not to look. You know, I said, Jesus, give me the word. Feed the sheep, bro. You know, it's like, and I'm just, <laughs> like, what in the monkeys is going on, bro? I'm like, this is so disrespectful. Like, I'm a pastor, bro. Like, I'm sitting here trying to hear the words. And I'm just like, I, I can tell it's like, it's youth kids, of course. Like, it's never like little, it's never like, you know, it's always teenagers, okay? And so I'm like, I'm feeling this. I'm literally thinking, like, we need rise kids for teenagers so that, like, we can just drop them off. Like, get out of here! And so I'm listening, I'm just, and I look over, and sure enough, it is Mickey Christensen, and it is Jacob Sigmund, Okay. If you don't know these two kids, uh, this is a couple years ago. They're like, you know, six foot five now. Uh, but this is back when they were like, looked like teenagers. They still are them. And they're like skateboarders at our church and they're knuckleheads, okay? I love these two with like a ferocious love. They're, they're amazing. But I was just, they're driving me nuts. And so I'm listening to like, and I look over and I realize like what, why they're laughing. 
and they're sitting there and they're roasting me because I am sitting there with, and you can see my leg up there. It's the like black, like skinny jean leg right there. And then they're two like mocking me and they're like, no respect at all. Just none. Like, we just, no pastor appreciation. We disrespect you. No service. We're just going to mock you. And, and, and I took this picture. Think about the fact that I took this picture right there. I was like, man, someday I'm going to make fun of these guys from stage. That's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. No, actually, that's not what I was thinking. To be honest, I was literally thinking there. And I felt the Holy Spirit stir in me. He was like, remember this moment. Because here's the reality. Sometimes you don't know who's following you until after your impact is already made. You do not know who is copying you. And so here's my question for you. Who, who is your example affecting right now? How is your example affecting them? Number two, not by climbing higher, but by kneeling lower. Not by climbing higher, but by kneeling lower, verse five. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Nietzsche, you guys know Frederick, Frederick Nietzsche? It's always a good Sunday when you're quoting him. He actually argued, he was a huge influence on Hitler. And he was a philosopher who argued that what separates us, man, from animals is not that we can think and meditate and, and do all this stuff and like we're just simply smarter than them. What separates us from animals is what he called the will to power. That we would like, seek power, that we would seek authority, that we would seek influence. Now, we've softened the phrase will to power to becoming an influencer now. But, but the truth is, he saw this in the human heart, and he says that's the distinction. What Jesus's message is through Peter here right now is not to will yourself into power, but to be subject. It's an alternative way of being human, to subject yourself He's speaking specifically to those who are on a team, not, not leading the team, but, but to subject yourself. But that principle also plays the other way. Just as leadership should flow down to everybody, followership should flow up to everyone above them. That we as a church would be subject, that we would submit ourselves. Who is walking around right now going like, yeah, I just want to be subject to other people. Like, I just want to follow. I want to submit. Nobody's doing that except for followers of Jesus. And God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And I love the beautiful language he uses here. He says, clothe yourselves with humility. A few months back, Jason was uh, redoing our website, and he, he put a picture of me on the website. And underneath it, it says, if you need anything, send me an email. And I, I'm like, what is wrong with Jason, bro? Like, what is wrong with this dude? I can just see him sitting there. Like, I get all these strange emails now, like, man, the toilet paper wasn't, like, you know, in the bathroom. He left me hanging. I'm like, what do I do with this? Forward to Kristen. Forward to Kristen. And I'm just like, I don't know the answers to this stuff, bro. Like, I, wrong picture, bro. And I can just see him behind his, like, keyboard, just like, <laughs> didn't even tell me. And so I'm just, like, getting these emails. But <laughs> here's the deal. Like, <laughs> one of my favorite emails that I get is this question from people that are outside our church. They always ask, what should I wear to church? What should I wear? Because what we wear is so close to our identity, right? We're like, how do I express myself? What would help me fit in? What would help me be presentable? Who am I? What should I wear? And Peter says, clothe yourselves with humility. Before you leave your house, soften your heart. When you're struggling with anger, soften your heart and say, man, I'm submitted to you, Jesus, and I'm willing to serve. 
This recalls the, the women's adornment in chapter 3 where he talked about, man, it's not about your braided hair. It's about your character. It's about following Jesus. That's what he's saying here. And so um, Andrew Murray writes, here is the path to the higher life. Down, lower down. Just as water always seeks and fills the lowest place, so the moment God fills men abased and empty, his glory and power flow in to exalt and to bless. It's powerful stuff. I remember working with my wife's cousin, my wife's cousin years ago, and uh, he had gone to Calvary Chapel Bible College, led by a guy named Chuck Smith. And uh, um, he, he's basically this movement leader back in the 70s, an amazing man. And I, I remember asking, did you ever meet Papa Chuck? Because like, if you love Chuck Smith, that's what you call him. He's Papa Chuck. And he says, yeah, I did meet him one time. Actually, I saw him all, all the time at the Bible college. I was like, are you serious? What was he doing? Like studying and the lectern? Like, how did you meet him? He said, no, he was actually scrubbing the floors of the cafeteria. He would be outside with the boys, trimming the palm trees. And he would do that all the time. I was like, why is Papa Chuck, he has sermons to preach. He has things to do. But he wanted a culture that said, we serve like Jesus. And so you have to ask, like, why would I do that? If you're not a Christian here, you're like, Christians are crazy. Like, I'm going to subject myself. I'm going to serve. I'm going to, I'm going to give myself over to people. I'm going to be humble. Like, why would I do that? I think number three tells us the answer. Because this is not in your own strength, but being strengthened by the hope of Jesus. Not in your own strength, but being strengthened by the hope of Jesus. Look at verse four. It says, and when the chief shepherd appears... You will receive, look at this, the unfading crown of glory. How many of you guys would say, being a leader in my home is hard? You don't even have to raise your hand. I see you nodding, Mom. When you say leading in this church is hard, navigating, like putting things in PCO, like what? Like I don't even do that because I hate it so much, right? You sign other people. It's hard. Leadership is hard. It can be exhausting. And I'm not going to tell you today that serving and leading and multiplying disciples and giving your life to others for Jesus is easy. Like, I would like to say that, um, but I'm trying to actually commission you into leadership. It's not going to be easy. This last year has been the hardest year for me probably in ministry ever. It's just been riddled with controversy, difficult things, people being upset, moving towards people in tragic moments, all this stuff. It's been very, very hard, and it's not going to be easy for you. But John Calvin was the man who's responsible for these huge denominations like Presbyterianism and Reformed churches and all this stuff. He flipped his city, Geneva, Switzerland, upside down as a French reformer. He single-handedly stirred the French Reformation. He preached an average of five sermons a week. Five sermons a week. He wrote commentaries on nearly every book of the Bible. He's one of the most read commentators all through history, all while being plagued with extraordinary ill health. He was suffering, plagued with ill health. And so when his colleagues approached him and they were like, hey, man, like you look like you're going to die. And he did, because he did. And he did die soon. You look like you're going to die. You need to slow down. He looked back at them and snorted, what? Would you have the Lord find me idle when he comes? What was he saying? He was not saying, I need to just keep trying harder. I need to keep working harder because I'm going to be in trouble if I don't. And this is really, really hard. He didn't look at what was hard. He looked at his Savior. 
he looked at the crown of glory that Jesus would place on him, that he would see his precious Jesus face to face one day. And listen to me, all of us are going to see Jesus one day, either because we go to be with him or because he cracks open the sky and we are going to see our Lord face to face. And when that day comes, it says he's going to put a crown on you. And he's going to give you what you do not deserve, despite how you've led in a, in a way that fails and falls short of the glory of God. It says that he's, he's going to do all this. And then in Revelation, we read pictures of people taking that crown off their heads that they don't deserve and saying, no, all the glory be to Jesus. Because you know what Jesus is if you're a Christian? And you know what Jesus is if you don't know anything about Christianity? Jesus is the reward. Jesus is our glory. I used to uh, live in Sacramento, California. We were trying to help plant this church, all this stuff, and I was 23. And if you think I'm fired up and passionate and like crazy right now, just imagine 23-year-old me. (laughs) I was a problem. And so I would would work at these warehouses, and like every chance I'd get in the break room, I'd be like, bro, can I talk to you about Jesus? And they'd be like, whoa, like slow down. I'm eating like Rice Krispies right now, like chill. And I'm like, no, dude, Jesus, like do you know Jesus, all this stuff, like he's coming back. I'm I'm trying to preach Jesus, all this stuff. And I met just crazy resistance. One, because I wasn't that good. (laughs) Like I was just bad at it. And then number two, because they, like it was literally like they were just averse. Like what are you trying to sell me here, bro? Like what's so good about this? In fact, their idea of Jesus and about Christianity and religion is like you have to like go to a cult temple and like make sacrifices of animals and wear scratchy underwear you know like this is like the cult they think i'm like trying to tie i'm like no dude that's mormonism like that's not that's not christianity at least the scratchy underwear part like like i love mormons i have lots of friends that are mormon but it's true it's like actually theologically true that's what they were so with that said like they think like man what are you trying to talk me into and i'm going oh like you guys think that this is just something uncomfortable and awful for our lives listen there's something difficult about it But this is not just us doing what we don't want to do. No, what following Jesus is, is saying, I have discovered the beauty. We have encountered the glory of God in Jesus. There is a weight and power to Jesus that draws you in when you're saved, that you can't even resist him. That he is the gift, that he is the reward, that he is the new power, that he is the new strength, that he is the help in times of need, that he is the brother who is closer than a friend. Look, we are going to see that Jesus one day, church. We are going to see the reward of all that we're doing here, and that is what we call the blessed hope of Christianity. And we are the most to be pitied if we're living like this and we don't see him face to face. But let me tell you, you are. You are going to see Jesus. You get Jesus. This is not about what you have to do. If you want to follow Jesus today, this is about what you get in him. You get Jesus. And some of you, um, as we conclude, you believe this lie. You believe this lie. That, man, this is not for me. This is not for me. And I want to conclude with this. I said the exact same thing. I remember going to a coffee shop over in in Happy Valley um, because I was living in Oregon City and I had visited Rise and getting to know Jason. He said, meet me over there. And we're sitting down and he looks across the table and after a few weeks, he's like, dude, what if you were like leading our first youth group here at Rise? And I looked at him and I said, no, (laughs) like I'm not, I'm not doing that. I was depressed. I was struggling, I was angry, 
I was in a dark place. And I remember him looking across that table and saying, I'm not just going to take no for an answer. <laughs> Who are you, bro? He said, please pray about it. And listen, that was the moment that I realized I needed to get outside of myself. And I needed to step into a new calling. And for you, I'm going to ask all of us to do something super weird. Is I actually want everybody to stand right now. Typically, when you see leaders commissioned, they'll stand before people. And you'll see them receive a calling before everyone else. And this is going to be private. Because I'm going to ask um, everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes right now. And for those of you who are listening to this and you're saying like, I think God is calling me to lead or to serve in a certain kind of way. As I pray, all I'm asking you to do, if that is you, would you just like put your hands out? We like open them up. Open them up before you. As though you're holding something. And it, all while I pray, if Jesus is calling you, would you do that? In a moment, we're going to have communion in the back. You're going to have an opportunity to be prayed over in the response room. We're going to sing songs to Jesus, but right now, this is sacred, and I want some of you guys to receive from Jesus. Father God, you are the greatest leader that has ever been. And Lord, you have been raising up leaders, raising up servants, raising up those who multiply disciples, for ages. And Lord, I pray that you would do it again. I know you do it, Lord. Lord, I remember these calls on my life. And I pray for every person in this room who has been called, that they would be reminded in this moment of their call. The person who's struggling, the person who's at their wits end right now, who knows they're a leader, but just feels like they can't take it anymore. I pray that you would fill them with Jesus right now. I pray for those who have someone else on their heart, not unrighteously, but righteously because they know that person is a leader and I need them to step up. I need them to see their calling. I need them to step into all that God has gifted them for. I pray that you would emblazon that name on their heart so they can't walk away from it after the service and they have to pursue that person. Would you go before us in those conversations? lastly, God, I want to pray specifically the person in here, whether they're not even a Christian, but they think they might be meeting Jesus right now, or the person who's been quietly a Christian and hiding, even though they know they're gifted, even though they know, but they're scared because it's going to take a lot out of their lives and their schedule and their time and their family, and Lord, would you just pierce their heart right now? Lord, would you call them to sacrifice right now? Not because it's all about what they do, but because it's who they get in Jesus. This is the new story, Lord. And as they receive you during this time of worship, I pray that you would fill them with your spirit. And all God's people said.